church this morning, my, my talk is on stewardship. What is stewardship and how does it affect the members of our church? Um, before I start, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to present the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that you anoint my lips, that my speech may be audible and clear, and that you may be glorified. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, to begin with, we are all stewards, aren't we? Can you all hear me? Should it be a little louder? Let's, let's ask ourselves the question, how is man related to the possessions of God? If they do not belong to us, what is our relationship to them? Yes, we're all stewards. In Luke 12, 42, Jesus speaks of the who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as stewards of God, we have nothing which we did not receive. A steward is, an, is a person entrusted with the things of others, and as such, he is to manage them in the interests of the owner. In this case, Heaven's goods are entrusted to us. And in the well-known parable found in Matthew 25, it says, To us as stewards have been delivered certain valuable things to keep and to use. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his servants and delivered unto them his goods. When doing research for this presentation, I discovered an excerpt from the Review and Herald dated December 7th, 1886, and of course by Ellen White. Well, she stated, God is not dependent upon men for the advancement of his cause. He might have made angels the ambassadors of his truth. He might have made known his will as he proclaimed the law from Sinai with his own voice. But in order to cultivate a spirit of benevolence to us, he has chosen men and women to do his work. Every act of self-sacrifice for the good of others will strengthen the gift of benevolence in the giver's heart, allowing him more closely to the Redeemer of the world, who was rich, yet for our sake became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. And it is only as we fulfill the divine purpose of our creation that life can be a blessing to each one of us. All the good gifts of God to man will prove only a curse unless he employs them to bless his fellow men and for the advancement of 
God's cause here on earth. The obvious question now is, what is the requirement of a steward? Well, first of all, faithfulness. The Apostle Paul says, it is required in stewards that a man be found, be found faithful, found in, in Corinthians 4.2. In Luke 16.10, our Savior declared, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in much. One of the highest tributes that will ever be paid to anyone are these wonderful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. A steward is to be faithful, and he must be accountable. A day of reckoning is coming. In the parable, after a long time, the Lord of the servant came and reckoned with them. We must give an account of stewardship. You see, the Spirit of God convinces men not only of sin, but of judgment. We are responsible beings, aren't we? Every man must give an account of his deeds before God. This brings us to another question. What is the Christian steward's first responsibility? It is without doubt to make the best possible use of that which is entrusted to him, not for himself, but for our owner, God. The sinful steward makes himself first. But to deliver all believers to God is to be first. But to all believers, God is to be first and last and best in everything. I'm happy to say that the stewards of this church more than fulfill the responsibility that God has commissioned. If God's work is to be finished, all of us, the deacons, the elders, the deaconesses, the personal ministries, and all of us have a vital role to play. Is that better? This other machine isn't on? Oh well. All of us have a vital role to play. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Psalms 116.12. And in Proverbs 3.9, the wise man declares that we are to honor the Lord with our substance and the first increase in the first fruits of all our increase. We are first to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the needs things of life, all the needful things of life will be added to us found in Matthew 6, 23. Now the next question is and it's, it's a vital one how do God's stewards fill his earthly warehouse? In two ways through tithes and offerings of course in Malachi 3.10 we have this injunction Bring all the tithes into the warehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now with this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven 
and pour out for you such blessings, there will be no room enough to receive it. Aren't they beautiful words? Well, what is a tithe? The word tithe means one-tenth, of course. If we earn a dollar, ten cents belongs to the Lord. If we earn $50,000, $5,000 of that belongs to the Lord, and so on and so on. Besides the tithe, we are to bring a free will offering into God's earthly warehouse. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Church, your free will offering is vital for the upkeep of this church. Apart from the upkeep of our church, we rely, rely on your free will offering in order that we may update our church. A church that was built in the mid-60s requires a great deal of restoration today. Just to give you some idea, but I won't dwell on it. Our church is faced with updating our kitchen. It's the original kitchen, built in 1966. Replacement of the carpet in our sanctuary and replacing that wooden sign out there with a digital one. These are very realistic goals, but we rely on you. And these projects couldn't be undertaken without your free will offering and support. All of these are must-do projects in order that we maintain the beauty of God's dwelling place. In the wilderness, which was a shadow of the real thing, was, was beautiful according to God's plan because it was the dwelling place of God's glory here on earth. In commissioning his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Christ assigned to men the work of extending the knowledge of his grace. But while some go forth to preach, he calls upon others to answer his claims upon them for offerings with which to support his cause in this earth. He has placed means in the hands of men that his divine gift may flow through human channels in doing the work appointed to us in saving our fellow men. This is one of God's ways of exalting man. It is just the work that, that we need, that man needs, for it will stir the deepest sympathies of his heart and call into exercise the highest capabilities of the mind. Every good thing of earth was placed here by the bountiful hand of God as an expression of his love for all of us. The poor are his, and the cause of religion is his. The gold and the silver are the Lord's, and he could rain them down from heaven if he chose. But instead of this, he has made man his steward, and trusting him with means not to be hoarded, but to be used in the benefiting of others. He thus makes man the medium through which to distribute his blessings on earth. 
God planned the system of benevolence in order that men might become like his creator, benevolent and unselfish in character, and finally be a partaker with Christ of the eternal, of the eternal glorious reward. Ellen White also wrote in May 16, 1893, none can enter heaven whose characters are defiled by the foul blot of selfishness. We should never forget that we are placed on trial in this world to determine our fitness for the future life. Therefore, God tests us here by committing to us temporal positions that our use of these may show whether we can be entrusted with eternal riches. The next question to be addressed is, was his plan of tithing an offering to be carried out fully? We may ask, how fully? Well, God's people anciently were to bring the first fruits of their increase, and this is found in Proverbs 3.9. This was to show God had first place in their lives. The tithe of the land included that of the trees, the flocks, and whatever was produced. This was made quite clear in Leviticus 27, verses 30 to 33. And the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. In verse 32, God speaks of the tithe of the herd of the flock. This was to be brought to him too. In Genesis 28, beginning with verse 20, we read the experience of Jacob, who made a vow to the Lord that if he would be with him, he would be faithful in giving a tenth to God's service. Ancient Israel paid tithes to the Levites, who were the servants of God and looked after the tabernacle and, and sanctuary. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth of Israel for an inheritance, for the service they serve, even the service of the tabernacle, found in Numbers 18.21. The Apostle Paul advises the same plan for support, for support of the gospel. He speaks of those who serve in the temple as living the things of the temple and being partakers with the altar. This was through the tithing system. And he then says, even so the Lord has ordained they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel, verse 14. It is clear from Hebrews 7 that those who pay tithes for service and work of the gospel of Christ are counted as having paid them to Christ himself. Let's consider just for a moment what God says about unfaithfulness in tithe and offerings. Let's turn to Malachi 3.8 and it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, 
then the prophet speaks of a curse coming upon the people because of their unfaithfulness. And he says it applies even to the whole nation. Just think of the blessing that would come upon the people, the churches, and the nation if they would be faithful in returning to God, his own. If there is a curse upon unfaithfulness in rendering to God his own, what blessing is pronounced upon faithfulness? Well, let's go back to Malachi 3 and read verses 10 and 11. And these are very important verses. It says, bring, I mean, let's read this again, I should say. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will be no room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devour, devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Could it be that many of the physical curses that have come upon the natural world have been due to unfaithfulness on the part of the inhabitants of the world? Why not give God a chance? Why not try him? Those who are tithing are being richly blessed. I know I have, and I know you have too. A boy named William was 16 years of age. He was poor, just starting out to make his way in life. He knelt with the captain of a canal boat and listened to the captain's prayer. Then the captain said, Someday someone will be the leading soap maker in New York. It might as well be you, he said to the boy. As soap making and candle making is your trade, make an honest soap and give a full pound. Be a good man. Give back, give back to the Lord, which belongs to him. That boy was none other than William Colgate. Yes, he did pay his tithes, one-tenth, two-tenths, later three-tenths, later four-tenths. Yes, he later gave it all. I came upon this ex excerpt just recently. I would have being able, I would, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 a week, spoken by none other than John D. Rockefeller. Yes, John D. Rockefeller was the very first person to reach the status of billionaire. He was a man who knew how to set goals and to follow through. At the age of 23, he became a millionaire. And at the age of 50, a billionaire. Every decision, attitude, and relationship was tailored to create his personal power and his personal wealth. But three years later, at the age of 53, his entire body became racked with pain, and he lost all the hair on his head. 
In complete agony, the world's only billionaire could buy anything he wanted, but he could only digest crackers and milk. An associate once wrote, he could not sleep, would not smile, and nothing in life meant anything to him. His personal, highly skilled physicians predicted that, that he would be dead within a year. That year passed agonizingly slow. As he approached death, he awoke one morning with the vague remembrance of a dream that he had had. He could barely recall the dream, but he it knew it had something to do with not being able to take it with him after death. The man who could control the business world suddenly realized that he was not in control of his own life. He was left with a choice. He called his attorneys, accountants, and his managers and announced that he wanted to channel his assets to hospitals, research, and mission work. On that day, John D. Rockefeller established his foundation. This new direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. The list of discoveries resulting from his, from his choice are enormous. But perhaps the most amazing part of Rockefeller's story is that the moment he began to give back a portion of all that he had earned, his body chemistry was altered so significantly that he got better. It looked as if he learned gratitude and gave back from his wealth. Doing so made him whole. It is one thing to be healed, but it is another thing to be made whole. Rockefeller died at the age of 90 years old. Someone once said, stewardship is God's blessing to each of us to help us with our problems of our selfishness. There was an inscription found on an old English cathedral which said, what I spent I had, what I saved I lost, what I gave I have, what I gave I have. I like that. I came across an article in a book of short stories. Maybe you've read this book by Bob Gass. Oops. They are one-page stories, and they're Bible-based. And, and this one is very interesting, and I'd like to share it with you. And it's called Financial Amnesia. In Egypt, God's people lived as dependents with no ability to improve their lot in life. To wean them from reliance on others, God brought them into the wilderness to teach them reliance on him. When they reached the promised land, he warned them, when you build fine houses and settle down and all you have is multiplied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. This is what is called financial amnesia. We remember God in good times of crisis, but forget him as soon as they're over. 
We can count our blessings because we, we can't count our blessings because we're too busy counting our money. We feel like we don't need him as much because everything's going our way. We say, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. People don't change too much. When we had nothing, we praised God with abandon. Or once we get a little something and want to look dignified, we keep the name of Jesus locked behind our lips when questioned about our success. The danger of entering the promised land is this, is forgetting where we came from. A little food in our stomachs can make yesterday's hunger seem like a long time ago. A few clothes in your closet and a new sofa in our living room can make that old stuff you used to get by with seem like a distant memory. The word for us today is be careful that you don't forget the Lord. The Apostle Paul tells us it is more blessed to give than to receive. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for, the, for God loves a cheerful giver. Found in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. If all professed believers were faithful in tithes and offerings, churches would be adequately supported. Everywhere, there would be no temptation to employ unscriptural means to secure money for church expense, and the gospel would be sent quickly to all the world. After all, payment of an honest tithe and the giving of a free will offering are not merely a financial proposition to bring final gain into, into this world. It should be the response of a loving heart filled with appreciation for the gift and mercies of God. It is first of all a, a spiritual experience and a divine part of worship. We must remember that God gave it all to us. Church, in closing, let's repeat together that beautiful Bible text found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, church.